There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly with Fake Others on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League. Clean off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers. Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area. World beating, big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with Fake Others on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello and welcome to this Women's Football Weekly special. We'll be bringing you our favourite guests, interviews and discussions from 2020, including a look back at some of the key moments of the year. The better team did not win the game. The most resilient team won the game. We knew that this would be a dominant Arsenal performance. So to win the game knowing that, for me, shows what a great team we really are. A focus on mental health with Jilly Flatty. I'm hopeful that we stop many more. Um, and it's just to know that, listen, there are people out there that can help you and it's not seen as a, a crime or it's not bad if you get upset or talk to someone. Um, you just got to find the strength from somewhere to reach out. And a special look at England on and off the pitch. And I, and I certainly think, you know, young players are naive and they have that raw talent and raw, you know, no fear attitude, which... I can help with a little bit of an experienced head, but yeah, maybe he didn't see me as that person that could do that and maybe my personality didn't fit. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Others. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport 2. So as 2020 draws to a close, it has been a packed year. So much to talk about. Let's start in February, shall we? It feels like years ago that Emma Hayes and Chelsea lifted their first Conti Cup in dramatic style. I am happy because I want to keep selling the sport. So if you've got team, two teams going for it, it's not great for the heart, but it means that you've got to work even harder week to week to make it difficult for the opponent. And the, the quality of the players is just improving every, every week. The Conti Cup, everyone knows my feelings on it, but I think there is a place for it as long as we can give that platform for our younger players, I think. That, we keep doing that and we keep adding more games and if we add more games the more games are the Conti Cup games then we will produce 
players as well as producing other games in the domestic campaign. I'm of at Moon um, finally bringing home that trophy that we've not won yet is, is a big statement for the club. To be honest, disappointed with the performance. I don't think we were by far. I thought Arsenal were the better team. Um, so I can appreciate they're probably feeling gutted that they, they were the better team on the night, but we ended up getting the win. You know, we'll just focus on one game at a time and not get too far ahead of ourselves. And that's what we did tonight. We just focused on tonight and just treated it like an, a normal game. And, um, you know, we're not going to be thinking through to May. Um, you know, that's when stuff gets a bit tricky. So just focus on every game and focus on what we can control. And um, it's not easy. We've seen that, you know, we played Liverpool the other day and that only won 1-0. So it's not going to be easy for us. We, we're here to win trophies. We're here to win, uh, win games. It's important to be at the pinnacle. It's important to be at the top. I'm so proud of the way we play. Uh, that's important to, to us. Look, honestly, we have a, a great team, a great squad. And, you know, injuries happen. But I think... Um, like I said, I'm, I'm so proud of the girls going out there today, putting a, a brilliant performance and just didn't come out with that final win. But it's obviously disappointing. Uh, you know, we can't concede like that. And, and also, we need to take our chances. Um, it's just unfortunate way of football sometimes. I'm hearing that I'm very, very stubborn. And uh, I am because I will never play a transition game. Um, it's not my style. It's not my way. I believe having the ball in the long run, you'll get away with transition once, twice, maybe even a third time. But in the long run, I'm going to keep playing football and I won't go away from my style. If it's the end of me, it's the end of me. But uh, I've got to stick true to my values and to Arsenal's values. So the season was reaching its most exciting peak, but then like everything else, it came to a grinding halt. Players had to find new ways to train and got used to life in lockdown. Well, thanks for being on. I've been watching plenty of your um, lockdown videos, one of yeah. which running into a door, which I think we mentioned here on Women's Football Weekly. Yeah, I think um, having, a, having a small garden hasn't helped with these um, obvious chill football challenges. But yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed doing them. How has the coronavirus impacted your return to fitness? I saw that you tweeted out the other day asking for a what bike to, to continue your rehab. Yeah, it's been difficult. Um, obviously, because we're not allowed into the club and stuff, and um, there's only a number of what bikes available. It was quite hard to get hold of one through the club. Um, they were working really hard to get us one, but I was, yeah, basically I wasn't allowed to run. So for my cardio, to try and keep myself as fit as possible, I needed a bike, um, which was quite important in my rehab. Yeah, um, I managed to go and get myself one, actually, just before everything kind of locked down and yeah. it arrived before we were properly on lockdown, so I got very lucky, but much less essential for me than it is for you. I mean, that is the kind of thing you would expect Arsenal to be able to, to organise for you. Why weren't they able to, to get that? I mean, I think it's kind of caught everyone off on surprise, and I don't think there was obviously really a plan in place because you can't expect things like this to happen, you know? You would... You wouldn't think it would happen. Um, yeah, kind of. We were training in the the Arsenal training ground, and then all of a sudden we were told we can't go. Like it's on lockdown. We're not allowed into the facility. So it's been quite hard to get hold of anything. You did, um, did manage to get one though, didn't you? Yeah, I was lucky enough that uh, Gary Lewin, who's um, been a physio at Arsenal for a lot of years, he's not obviously. He, he used to be with the men's side. I was lucky enough that his clinic had a bike, and they actually shut down the clinic. So. He reached out to me after seeing my message and said that I could have it during, obviously, the time of how long, however long this is going to be for. It, it's, it's been really difficult for everyone, hasn't it? Because the majority of women's players don't seem to have home gyms. Um, some of you have had to plead on social media for equipment and, and weights as well. 
yeah, I think uh, it's a little bit embarrassing. You don't want to be doing these things, but at the same time, I want to be trying to do the utmost I can to be getting myself back to full fitness, hopefully before the league starts again. And to do that, I need the weights, I need the bike. And yeah, luckily enough, I can start running now, which is a little bit more cardio work for me. But yeah, it was vital in me keeping fit. And as the other girls who are already fit will also need... So, yeah, it's been difficult. Um, you get a little bit embarrassed to have, have to ask. But, I mean, like my um, Don Scott, the England uh, SNC coach, said to me, if you don't ask, then you don't get. And shy Ben's get nothing, which we say up north. So. Yeah. <laughs> my uncle lives up north. He's been saying that to me for years. I love that phrase. Yeah. And she's so, absolutely right. Yeah, no, she is. Um, yeah, she kind of gave me the little shove that I maybe needed, but... I'd missed out on a week of being able to do that. And if I maybe put it out a bit earlier, maybe I would have got access to a bike earlier. But, yeah, this is what happens, and you've got to make light out of bad situations sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners who don't know, your boyfriend is Sheffield United's Jack O'Connell. So I'm presuming you've got all the gym equipment you need at home and at least someone you can <laughs> practice some skills with. Yeah, we're we're quite lucky. We've got we've got a really good gym in ours. And, um like you said, we we can um, replicate our, our gym programs together. Um, you know, when you've got your one hour a day to, to head to the field, it's, I'm quite lucky that we can we can both do that together, really. So it's been good motivation. Absolutely. Give it, make us all jealous. Tell us how you've kitted it out. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we've got most things, um, you know, treadmill, walk by weights and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's been kind of easy for us to, to follow a program. Um, but to be honest with you, the, the best part of the day is probably getting out on the field and, and getting some fresh air. So as much as we've got all the gym equipment, uh, I'm enjoying getting to the field and going a bit old school, I think. Oh, brilliant. Old school. What have you been doing? Um, jumpers as goalposts? <laughs> yeah, trainers as cones, jumpers as goalposts. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> amazing, amazing. I, I presume you've got WhatsApp groups and things to keep in touch. Now, you weren't sure what time you could come on Women's Football Weekly tonight because you got some kind of team quiz. Tell me more about that. Yeah, well, we were actually meant to have a line of team quiz tonight. Um, it's actually been cancelled um, because, you know, we've got players all over the world, um, some in America and stuff like that, and trying to get us all together at the same time at once actually can still prove quite difficult. Um, so that's that's postponed until the end of the week. But yeah, it's, again, them little things are great and it's good good laughs and stay in touch with the girls. Who's the quiz master? Uh, Wendy or, or media. Um, Love Wendy. I, could ima yeah. I can imagine yeah. her organising everybody. Glass of wine in hand. <laughs> Absolutely. She's brilliant. England and Arsenal defender Leah Williamson and Scotland and Chelsea midfielder Erin Cuthbert. How are you both? You're right. Very well, thanks. Very well. Good, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Getting into a routine now under lockdown, Erin? Yeah, um, really enjoying it actually, but it's you know, it's the best of a, a bad situation at the moment. I think it took me a couple of weeks, but I'm I'm getting used to it now and it's a reality and we all have to stay at home for the greater good sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are starting to get into a bit of a rhythm. And, of course, people are coming up with innovative ways to keep us all entertained as well as doing some good. Uh, now, you both usually play against each other, but you've actually come together to play on the same team in an event that's going on. It's an online football tournament called the All-Star FIFA 20 tournament. So athletes and celebrities have been involved, but in the safety of their own home, obviously, 
obviously, uh, but raising funds for the COVID-19 urgent appeal. Leah, can you explain the format to our listeners who, who might not have seen what's been going on? Yeah, so um, we've been put into teams of three, uh, me, Erin and Viv, um, Vivian Miedemar, we're on one team, uh, we're Team Holland actually, not sure how I feel about that, but we'll go with it. How uh, does that work? <laughs> yeah, I think we just let, uh, I think if we didn't let the top goal scorer be the uh, the leader, I think we'd we'd look a bit silly. Fair enough, um, fair enough. So we, we give her away sometimes. Um, yeah, basically we play against um, other team made up of three people um, and then eventually everybody will progress if they win out of their group games. So I don't think we did too well today. Two losses and one win. Oh, uh, and I, I was just give gonna... any prizes to guess who won well, their game. I'm presuming that Vivian Miedemar won her game. <laughs> so the next question yeah. I have for you, clearly she is the best FIFA player <laughs> among the three of you, but who is the best FIFA player between the two of you, Erin Cuthbert and Leah Williamson? Erin, uh, do you I'll want to tell the story or should I? <laughs> no, I'll let you answer. <laughs> well, yesterday we had a, we had a quite a closely uh, contested match to start with. I can't remember the score, but I did lose. Um, but it was in the second game. I might have got two people sent off and uh, ended up losing 6-1, I think. Wow. Wow. Okay, so that's, a, that's an easy win for Erin then in that case. <laughs> yeah, quite definitive answer there. It's Erin. Yeah. Great to hear from Jill Scott, Beth Mead, Alex Greenwood, Leah Williamson and Erin Cusper about what they got up to uh, during lockdown. Now then, we waited and waited, but unfortunately, the decision was made to pull the plug on the Barclays FAWSL season and award Chelsea the WSL title on points per game. The FA have confirmed the Women's Super League and Women's Championship seasons will end with immediate effect, as we expected. Promotion and relegation hasn't been decided yet, though. A number of ideas apparently been sent to the full FA board uh, for discussion. Uh, Anna Kessel, with your women's sport editor hat on, was this the right decision? Oh, that's a hard one to answer. I mean, obviously, in terms of the current resource that's available to women's football, this was the inevitable answer. Um, but does that make it the right answer? I'm not sure. Um, it's interesting that most of the clubs and overwhelmingly the players um, felt happy with this decision. They were worried about returning and, and the safety issues um, and, and resource really to make it safe. But it's interesting that um, Liverpool, I've seen, have just put out a statement this evening um, and that there's just a hint of dissent there um, with them talking about, you know, that they were prepared to return to football. They felt that they were equipped to do it, um, which is interesting because most clubs have sort of talked about that concern about resource. And they've also highlighted that they had a third of games still to be played. Mm. Uh, let's remember that, you know, WSL hasn't played since February now. Yeah, they haven't played since February. There, there is a question over this um, uh, potential option of a weighted points per game decision to decide the sporting outcome of the season. And of course, uh, Chelsea, for example, would therefore win the league if that was what they decided to do. But I mean, they haven't played every team in the league because they've not faced Everton yet. Well, that's exactly it. And it, it's so tight at the top. I think that's one of the, the saddest things, really. You know, this was such a big season for the WSL, biggest ever domestic crowds um, in this era, um, a real sense of excitement and progress. And just to cut it dead at the, at the point where, you know, so tight at the top, Chelsea, Arsenal and Man City all vying for a finish, uh, very different to the men's Premier League situation. Um, it seems very, very 
sad that that it couldn't be completed. Yeah, absolutely. Jane Purdom, from a governance point of view, I mean, it's a very difficult position, unprecedented you know, times we're in, as we keep saying. Um, from the FA's point of view, were they kind of damned if they did, damned if they didn't? I think Anna's absolutely right. It was a very difficult decision. Personally, I think it's probably a sensible one because player safety has to come first. And if that can't be guaranteed, then there's no point trying to continue. But even though it might be the sensible decision, it's a, it's a decision that nobody's going to welcome because we all wanted this wonderful season with the record crowds and real breakthrough presence of the national women's game um, to continue and to finish and to hopefully finish in 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 triumph and glory. And, and that's not to be. Um, damned if they did, damned if they didn't. Again, I do. I think it was a very difficult decision, but I can see why they've made it. And and I think the focus now has to be on making sure that we prepare properly for the start of next season, and that resources concentrated on that and on that critical question of of making it safe. Uh, big story of the week: the Shadow Minister for Sports criticised the FA's decision to cancel the Women's Super League season when the Premier League is set to return on the 17th of June. Alison McGovern's written to FA Chief Executive Mark Bellingham saying that the decision to broadcast Premier League games on terrestrial TV but not women's games is failing to capitalise on the viewing figures the England women's team earned at last summer's World Cup. Obviously, the announcement came on Friday that the sporting outcome had been decided and Chelsea were the WSL uh, title winners. Uh, many people, though, asking why exactly it, it, it took so long. So, so what process did you have to go through and, and why did it take this long to come to the conclusion? Well, we had to wait for the government protocols to come out in terms of how elite sport comes back. And so once we'd got that and talked to the clubs about the operational logistical challenges uh, with those and the costs. Uh, and then we talked to the players as well, who were, uh, I think it's fair to say, a number of them apprehensive about coming down, uh, coming back to football whilst the country was in lockdown. And when we looked at all of that in the round, then, um, you know, there was very, very strong support from uh, the clubs uh, to terminate the league. And from there, obviously, we then went to look at sporting outcome. But the big decision was around termination. That was really dictated by uh, government information. Let's start with the WSL Academies and RTCs. Um, I just want you firstly to hear what some parents, girls and fans who listen to Women's Football Weekly think. Totally, literally, bang out of order. I think, on a personal level, every child should have access to the same level of facilities, no matter their gender or race. It shouldn't be one has more than the other just because of financial investment by a particular club or a particular side it's just not right for me i think it's disgraceful it's important i think especially since we've had the whole lockdown now we've had lockdown too that we keep getting um girls playing football so when i saw that the academy the under 21 girls would be paused for a month obviously i was really disappointed most of us found out from watching the news and the government talking about it and then on our Tuesday session, they told us that football was going to be stopping and that we would have four weeks off. To hear that the boys were carrying on was, it was kind of annoying as there isn't really a difference in us because we are in the elite talent pathway as well. Trying to explain to your daughter why, you know, it's one rule for her and one rule for, for the boys is really difficult. I would call on them to look to invest in the RTCs, the training academies, of all the clubs in the 
Women's Super League Championship National League and below, just to make sure that every child has the same access and the same rights. By not having the RTCs playing, and I mean, we could, we, this lockdown could go on for two, three months, we don't know, but not let, allowing them to play in, saying Premier League's elite, but WSL isn't, academies, it's just ridiculous for me. Personally, it's, it's a bit frustrating when boys can carry on, yeah, girls can't, because I feel like if you wanted to stop football, you could stop it all as one and not just one for one person and one for the other. I think I'd just like them to explain to me what the difference is so that then I could explain it to my daughter. They have invested and I, and I do believe they're trying to do the right thing, but I don't believe anything that they've given so far in way of an explanation explains the rationale sufficiently. Challenge um, that we've got here is is resource. You know, it's um, it's human and financial resources. Um, it's significant amount of work um, to put those protocols in place. Um, medical uh, need uh, medical officers to oversee uh, the protocols, dealing with symptoms, dealing with positive tests, uh, players coming back in, um, the daily uh, testing that goes on, and questionnaires to make sure that environment's safe. There's a whole lot that goes in around that, that, that isn't in place currently in, uh, across the board in girls' academies and RTCs. It is part of the problem, Kelly, that there's too much of a comparison between men's and women's football at the moment when actually they're not at a level playing field and that's exactly what you're trying to, to, to do at the FA. Yeah, I mean, I understand why, but um, obviously the Premier League's a multi-billion pound uh, industry and the, the men's game, they've been able to invest millions of pounds into their academies with world-class training facilities that are secure and can be locked down in these sorts of situations um, with a lot of full-time staff um, and the resources to run this sort of thing. Now, obviously, the women's game needs to to get resources, get partners, grow its revenue to to uh, to be able to to do some of this stuff that we're talking about. You heard there from the Telegraph's women's sport editor Anna Kessel, women in football CEO Jane Purden, and the FA's Kelly Simmons on the premature end of the FAWSL and championship seasons, and then the closure of girls' academies and regional training centres. So it has been a busy year, ups and downs for sure. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers. Coming next, West Ham captain Jilly Flaherty. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Ruthers. Don't forget, if you miss any of our shows or if you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app so you can download it today. And just go to our podcast section. Now then, as we've said, it's been a challenging year to say the least and many players opened up about the struggles that they've personally had. None more open and honestly than West Ham captain Chilly Flaherty. You gave an interview to the BBC's Joe Curry and to The Guardian's Susie Rack for, as part of the Time to Talk campaign about a really difficult subject, um, an, att an attempt to take your life 11 years ago when you were 17 and playing in for Arsenal. What made you want to come out and tell your story to people? Well, it was only like, I'd say the past two years that I've really like thought about it and it accepted um, what I'd done. Up until then, it was sort of brushed under the carpet, never mentioned, never thought of. Um, and then it was towards the back end of last year when I decided that I was ready to, to talk about it. And I spoke to our media guy, Mitch, at West Ham and just said, listen, this is my story. 
which shocked him <laughs> massively. But I said, I want to I want to tie it in with something. I want to come out publicly about it. Um, and he said, obviously, about this campaign, the Time to Talk one, which was happening. And he said, I think it'd be great if we launch it and talk about it on that day. Um, and then, yeah, and then it come up to it where we were starting to make the plans with obviously the Guardian and the BBC. And then the week before, I pulled out and said, I don't want to do it. Um, I had a gut feeling that just wasn't the right time um and then mitch i think it's me being a woman that you know like you just overthink things don't you and you panic a little bit and uh mitch gave me 24 hours and just said listen just think about it and i spoke to my partner about it and said um obviously i really wanted to do it but i think it was that fear of telling everyone um is it a fear of judgment yeah and a fear of like being embarrassed i think a little bit and I didn't want anyone to think of me any different. I didn't want people to look at me and go, oh, that's Jilly who took the overdose. And that was the sort of fear that I had. And then I just said, listen, I'm just going to go with it. Whatever reaction we get, we get. Um, no one can put say anything negative about me actually having the courage to come out and do it. It was more so, listen, whatever response we get. Um, ideally, it was positive And I was sort of in the back of my mind thinking that there might be negative comments anyway, but I'm a lot stronger now that I was prepared to to obviously take it, do you know what I mean, and go through with it. Because it's a bigger thing, isn't it? Coming out and saying something like that and the impact it has on someone else potentially who might have thought of doing the same. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I was so surprised with the reaction because I didn't think it would hit and take off as much as it did. Um, my phone was non-stop from Thursday onwards, just with, with words of encouragement, with previous teammates um, coming forward and just saying like, ah, uh, they never expected it from me, um, sort of. And it's, it's hard because people see me as me now. And majority of people in my life weren't there 11 years ago, so they don't know the person that I was. Um, but, yeah, the, the support and the, the people who have reached out to me and said, listen, they're going through the same thing or they've been through it. And you just feel like, OK, this not it's not as bad as what it is because it's obviously drastic what I've done, but I didn't feel like I was being judged at all. And what got you to that place? I was just, oh, I was going through a lot of things. I was, I went to college. Um, I moved away from home. Um, I wasn't as close, like, with my family as I am now. Like, I'm very, I'm very loving. Like I say, I love you all the time on the phone to my mum and dad. And whenever I leave, I'll give them a kiss and say, I love you. And that's just how I've been raised. But when I come to about 16, 17, it was like, I was being a rebel. I was sort of like the, my mum and dad have got four daughters and I was probably the one who give the biggest headache of them all. Um, but yeah, I went away from, from home, I was struggling to deal with that. I just lost my nan as well. Um, I was going through college and struggling a lot with the grades, and and then I ended up getting put down a level as well. So it was sort of like the the embarrassment of telling my mum and dad, "Listen, I've even had to drop down a level because I'm struggling that much." Um, I was on the bench for Arsenal, which at 16 is like fantastic. You know I mean, 16, 17, but. I didn't really feel like I had the the guidance of someone saying, listen, just be patient. Do you know what I mean? You want to play there and then, and you then question why you're not playing, you're not good enough. Um, and then obviously then I was dealing with the fact of accepting that my sexuality, that I was gay. And how difficult is that? Because it, Vivian Miedemar came out midweek and made some interesting comments uh, about that point. It, it's, it's much more open in the women's game that people are gay, um, but it's still not massively talked about. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard for me because we're... Like for, it's hard for me to agree with that in the sense of because where I am a gay player, like, it, it's, it's spoken about a lot when in, in regards to me, if you know what I mean. Like, in the Rainbow Laces campaign, like, I'm 
the forefront of it at West Ham. Do you know what I mean? We're we're very open as a club about it. Um, it's like it, no one's seen as old. That person's gay. I mean, it's not seen like that. Um, and I think women's football is so accepting of it, whether you're talking about players, whether you're talking about fans. Um, we have a lot of fans from the LGBT community come and support us. And I feel like it's it's a lot more accepted, of course, than if you compare it to men's football. But I think with women's football, it's it's not seen as a it's it's not it's not seen as a, as a crime sort of thing. It's not seen as like oh my god, that player's gay. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? I no, mean, it's, it it's completely irrelevant, um, which I think is the frustration that so many people have that a high-profile men's player hasn't come out yet. And Vivian Miedemar suggested that until a big player in the men's game comes out, it won't fully be accepted in football as a whole. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because our, the, when the, the whole thing of the gay footballer um, the championship footballer and there was all the talk on Twitter and I, I spoke previously about this with a journalist because I actually reached out to that footballer um, and I was sending uh, DMs with them and it's it's frustrating now because you don't even know who I was talking to at the time um, but they was they seemed so legit they was talking about the PFA they was talking about how their teammates are getting support that they're going on like um, they're going on courses to learn how to deal with it in, in regards to the media and stuff and then for that to then come back as was that person even real sort of thing it's a bit like whoa maybe we've taken a few steps back here um, because the support that that, that account had online was fantastic um, and it was sort of like the then he was given like a countdown and it was sort of like everyone was waiting and, and watching for it to happen it never happened and I do think it's hard um, because I think we do know if we're honest there are gay men footballers um, but for whatever reason it's None, none of them have come out yet um, for various reasons, you know what I mean? And it will be good one day when we get to the point where no one has to come out, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. Um, is there any part of you that sits there and thinks, A, that that account may not have been real, which were, where, as you said, some people raised that as a, as a possibility, or do you think it was a real account? it's a real person, they're still out there. And perhaps if you look back at how you felt just before the Time to Talk campaign where you just went, no, do you know what? I can't do this. That they just got to that point and it was so overwhelming that they didn't feel they could. Yeah, some of the things I was saying, I was just thinking, you wouldn't know that unless you was a footballer. In regards to like the PFA and the causes and that, I think if you was a fan, would you know that sort of stuff? I'm not too sure. Um, so it's hard to take, but then obviously then when it... It didn't happen and then the person's account changed and it just seemed like a, a regular guy. It was a bit like, well, hold on a minute, we've all been fooled here. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it, deep down I hope that it, it was true and that they did, maybe they just, they had cold feet and they just thought, listen, I'm not, it's not the right time for me to do it. Um, and I think you're never going to know the answer to that. Um, but you just got to, I, I remain positive that that actually was someone. Yeah. And the positivity that, that you've given telling your story and what happened to you can potentially help others who are going through a tough time. Yeah, that, that's that's the reason I've done it. So many people have said, why did you want to tell your story now? Like I said, I could have gone my whole career without mentioning it. And if I was a selfish person, uh, that probably would have been the easier route to just carry on and, and not mention nothing. And, but for me, I just I just felt there's, there's so there's so much suicide going on and you see so many different stories about it, whether it be youngsters, whether it be obviously the older people as well. And it was just, I felt like I had to to say something and I had to make a stand with it. And 
just to reach out and to let people know, listen, if I can get to that point where I don't want to be here no more and I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm so happy with my life and I, I'm so content that anybody can do it. Um, and I, I've said if, if I can just stop one person, for me, then I've won and, and that's all we can achieve from it. But I'm hopeful that we stop many more. Um, and it's just to know that, listen, there are people out there that can help you and it's not seen as a, a crime or it's not bad if you get upset or talk to someone. Um, you just got to find the strength from somewhere to reach out. It's always a pleasure to have Jilly in the studio with us on Women's Football Weekly and for her to be that open as well. We're very grateful because we know there will be lots of you out there suffering the same kind of challenges. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. If you miss any of the show, don't forget you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app. Just subscribe to our podcast by searching TalkSport Women's Football Weekly. Coming up on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football, we'll be discussing all things Lionesses. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Brothers. Well, now, this seems like a long time ago, but the Lionesses started the year competing in the She Believes Cup. It didn't go very well, did it, if you'll remember? Uh, the Lionesses finishing third in the end, just the one win under their belt. Then the pandemic hit, and that, of course, scuppered preparations for the Euros, and they were forced to play in-house friendlies uh, since March. Not been much fun for fans either in a year where we could have been expecting probably packed stadiums as well. Um, this year on Women's Football Weekly, though, there has been plenty of interesting chats about the Lionesses, including the news that Phil Neville was leaving his position as head coach and that one of the best coaches in the world was going to be stepping into his place. England's defence of the She Believes Cup kicked off. Disappointing start against the USA. But on Sunday evening, they bounced back from that with a 1-0 win over Japan. Ellen White coming on as a sub, scoring late in what was, let's be honest, not the most exciting game, Farah. 
yeah, in terms of us as a nation, I think, you know, both of the games have been disappointing. Um, I think the Japan result was what we needed. Um, in terms of performance, I don't think they were great. I think the USA certainly dominated us. Um, the level just looked completely different between where they're at and where we're at. You know, we don't look great. I think the squad is low on confidence still, despite what Neville has tried to tell us. I think they are still feeling a bit battered and bruised from, you know, the torrid run that they've been on. Not just the World Cup, I think we're kind of, that's maybe just about out of our system. But, you know, since, you know, since that semi-final defeat to the USA, we've never really got back to our best. And, you know, the conversations here are very much of, are we going backwards? England women's head coach Phil Neville will see out his contract before leaving next summer. In a joint statement, the FA and Neville say it's important the players continue to have continuity of coaching during the current global crisis and in the absence of the Euros, which will now go ahead in 2022. Did this come as a surprise to any of you? It's obviously been on the cards since the coronavirus has changed the footballing landscape and the global tournaments, hasn't it, I suppose? Uh, Rebecca, we'll start with you. Were you surprised? I have to say I, I was a bit. I mean, certainly it's not a surprise in the sense that we suspected that that contract may not necessarily be renewed. You know, we knew that was kind of um, definitely up in the air, as it were, and certainly there was no guarantee that Neville himself wanted to renew that. We, we weren't sure. But I think the timing and obviously it did feel quite sort of out of the blue. It, as you mentioned, it, it was leaked in advance. Um, and I guess the way it's been handled um, and the, the timing have definitely been the surprise for me. Dutch coach Serena Wiegman would be taken over after next summer's Olympics. What is Serena Wiegman going to bring to the Lionesses that perhaps Phil didn't? How is she going to enhance them and take them forward? Personally, she's got fast more experience of the women's game than, than what Phil, Phil did coming in. Um, as a player and as a coach, I think she has a, a winning mentality. It's proven she won the, the home Euros with the Netherlands. Um, so, yeah, I think she'll bring that. I think in, in terms of her style of play, I can understand where they're saying it might be a smooth transition in terms of the formation they play. Um, Phil tried to get the England team to get the ball down and be brave and, and be a possession-based team, which Serena is as well. Um, but I just think with a bit more purpose, Serena, I think, you know, certainly with her style of play, yes, she plays a similar formation and a similar style. But certainly uh, uh, the purpose of that is certainly more with intent than what I, I believe Phil's you know, team was. Um, yeah, it's the winning mentality I think that she'll bring. She's one thing, she's a, she's a proven winner. So that's, what I, that's where I think England is the next step for them and I think she's the person that can bring it. I don't want to compare them um, because Phil in his own right has done really well for this team and he's still still my boss at the moment and um, I fully respect him for the next 12 months that as a team we have to go and give our all for, for him and for the England shirt but yeah of course Serena I think obviously our record speaks for herself um, playing against our teams over the last few years and the fact that they won the Euros they were, close, they were obviously in the World Cup final I think the way that they play football is a very attractive style of football so I think obviously the next 12 months is focusing on the here and the now um, and then once that 12 months is over it's um, obviously welcoming Serena to, to be now England boss. You heard the thoughts there of England midfielder Farrah Williams, Claire Bloomfield who's now head of women's football at the European Club Association, Rebecca Myers from the Times and Steph Horton of course Lioness's captain on the departure of Phil Neville and the arrival of Serena Wiegmann. Now a certain someone told us that they might be up for taking the England job one day. I do like giving people orders and bossing them about. So I enjoy being captain because I like to, to tell people, you know, get over there, come on, get in with me. Um, it is enjoyable, but I think, yeah, coaching's 
hopefully a long way off for me yeah. still, but I would love to maybe coach, I don't know, the England team or something and, and try and win trophies for England. Uh, you know, sitting on the bench as a, as a coach would be fantastic, but we'll see in the future, you know, where my interests kind of go. That was England and Manchester City right-back Lucy Bronze, of course. Now, the Lionesses' record appearance maker, Farrah Williams, is always one of our favourite guests on Women's Football Weekly. And back in March, she was very candid about why she thinks she's no longer part of Phil Neville's England plans. I mean, that must have been an incredible frustration for you not to be named in those squads. Yeah, before you know, before the, this this tournament this year, I think you know I was frustrated when I wasn't picked. Uh, this is for the Germany the Germany game. Yeah, I, I just feel like I was in form. I, I think I was in form in the you time were. that I wasn't I wasn't being selected, and you know Phil tells me it wasn't an age thing, but sometimes it's hard to not think that it had something to do with my age and that he wanted to bring young players through. The frustrating thing is that when you hear players and, and ex pundits and every, everybody and sorry and pundits ex players that are now pundits yeah. talking about. The likes of Carly Lloyd, who's 37, fantastic player, still performing at a high level. Okay, we talk about Formiga for Brazil, 42, Brazil's best player. Marta. But yet we can't talk Marta, 34, mm. 35, still producing. But we can't talk about an England player at similar ages who's still delivering at WSL. Mm-hmm. But we don't like... It, it's like it, it's hard for us to say that, yeah, they should be in the squad because of age. Mm. I feel like we struggle as Engl- England ex-England players or, or, or now pundits and we, we look at age rather than performance because I'd like to think based on stats, based on performances, I was up there with with the best of the youngsters that were delivering at that time. You absolutely were, but not just that. What you can also bring to those youngsters, bearing in mind you've got a coaching background of your own, mm-hmm. you're experienced at international level as England's you know most capped player. To me, it seems like a no-brainer that you would want a player like you, not just who can be involved in the squad and turn a game, but somebody who could also educate the young players that he does want to bleed in. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I felt, and even so now, I still feel like I could have a big big impact, you know, certainly on the players and and the team. And, you know, international football, I think you you develop a know-how. You know, I've played it now, you know, one of my biggest achievements, I think, in football is staying at the top level throughout my whole career. You don't do that by accident. And I think I've learned, you know, loads of experiences, you know, good and bad along the way. I've made some real bad decisions, some very good ones. Uh, I've had some real highs and lows, but I certainly can share these experiences with players. Mm. And, I, and I certainly think, you know, young players are naive and they have that raw talent and raw, you know, no fear attitude, which I can help with a little bit of an experienced head. But yeah, maybe he didn't see me as that person that could do that. And Maybe my personality didn't fit. She certainly tells it like it is, Farrah Williams. Love having her on Women's Football Weekly. I'm sure you'll hear plenty from her in 2021. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faye Carruthers. If you miss any of the show, you can find our podcast by downloading the TalkSport app and searching for Women's Football Weekly. Next, we're going to be looking ahead to 2021. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers, taking you back in time to look at the best interviews that we've had on the show in 2020. And of course, with the Olympics delayed until 2021, the wait to see who would be coaching Team GB at the Olympics continued. And we spoke to plenty of our guests and Phil Neville himself about who they all think it might be. I know your role ends in, in July, essentially, but... 
but is the Team GB role a conversation that you've had with the FA and, and a role you'd like to take in the summer? Well, I, I think uh, yes, I do want I do want to be the Team GB manager, but I think I think I'm really relaxed about it because I work for an organisation that that, that 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 do things the right way. So I'm going to uh, sit down in the next month or two. Uh, and, and discuss that with the FA and, and see what they want and, and what I want and uh, hopefully we'll come to the right, uh, right conclusion. I mean, it's interesting. He keeps mentioning the fact that he works for an organisation that will make the right decision. Um, that kind of tells me they're already in talks that you know he potentially will stay on and, and take that Olympic job based on what he said, them, them doing the right thing. Um, I think it's a difficult moment for the England team, you know, with having no definite manager going to the Olympics. We'll only be in there for, what, the next 11 months. What direction does he want to take these lionesses in before he then hands it over? That's the question. You know, is he going to tap a number of young players? Is that what he wants to do in the next 12 months and transition those young players and give them exposure to senior football? That's the question I'm asking him and the, and the FA. What is the direction they want to go in as an England team for the next 12 months? Do you think they know? I'm not sure. Unless they name him as, as manager for the Olympics and he can really focus in on, on, on his England team for you know, the next 12 months and take an England team to the Olympics, then I'm not actually sure if they know what, what their focuses are for the next 12 months. But what's their possible reasoning for not having nailed their colours to the mast and said who they want to take Team GB? Which, you know, if it is Phil Neville, you would expect would be more of an England team than, than, than anything else. But to take G Team GB to the Olympics, why haven't they made that decision yet? I'm unsure. I'm unsure. This this raises the question for me whether it was Phil that stepped away from from the FA and the England Lionesses, or whether you know it was them that that didn't renew his contract. You know, we're kind of stuck in that, and um, that raises a question for me as 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 to what the decision was based around that. But yeah, certainly for the players, you know, for their focus for the next 12 months, they need to know who the manager is. They need to know who, you know, they're they're, they're wanting to impress to get themselves in that selection. Does it feel awkward at the minute? Or for everybody? I think so. I think a little bit. I think, as you mentioned, with not having any stability, I think, you know, the players will be a little bit doubting. I'm not sure that they know when they're in camp now. How, how does that feel with Phil, you know, not being in charge? And, of course, they respect him and they've had him as manager for the last two years. But in terms of going there, what is their motivation as a squad? Like, what, what are they looking to do in the next 12 months? It's now the 30th of November, and we were told that the Team GB head coach would be announced in November. Well, there's not that many hours left. Are we expecting it still? I mean, I feel like we have this conversation and have been having this conversation for, for months after Phil Neville announced he was going to be stepping down at the end of his contract. Is it going to be Phil Neville? What Do, do you know anything? Ear to the ground, Siobhan? I have no idea. Um, I'd like to see it being something fresh, just something new, something exciting. The players have been kind of stuck as you said in in groundhog day and they've been stuck in st george's park for the last three camps everything's been quite monotonous it's quite the same it's always like i was involved in the setup for for 15 years or so and and you get into that groove of turning up playing not saying that it's all exactly the same because everything's so different but to have someone come in someone completely fresh someone that's going to invigorate such excitement within the players i think that's the biggest thing it's such a short turnaround of a tournament you're going to have players from different environments different countries and you need someone that's going to bring the best out of those players and, and make them enjoy football and go out there and put on good performances and i think that's what's going to make a successful team gb team lioness's record appearance maker farrah williams and former england goalkeeper siobhan chamberlain giving us their thoughts on who should be team gb's manager now i just want to make a note because 
Friend of the show, Molly Hudson from The Times, did have an exclusive in the paper the other day suggesting that Phil Neville has been confirmed as the Team GB head coach. That's not been confirmed by the FA yet. However, they were supposed to decide it in the summer. Then they said that it was going to be in November. And as of recording at the end of December, that hasn't quite happened yet. But at the time of recording... It's not confirmed. However, that doesn't mean it's not been confirmed. So if you know and I don't, then well done you. That's brilliant. Um, We've missed the breaking news as this is a pre-record. But the Euros were also pushed back a year, of course. Really disappointing as they're supposed to be at home. And Beth Mead, England and Arsenal forward, uh, told us she thought that this was the right decision. Yes, it's frustrating that the Olympics has to be pushed back. The men's Euros does. But I think if we're coinciding with what everybody else are doing, I think... We the best measure to take would be to push it back another year, the Euros, and we actually have, you know, the limelight a little bit on the women's game in England and it not coincide with the men's game, you know, and I'm sure they will probably want the same, you know, they want everyone to hype around the men's Euros and then everyone want to hype around the women's game. So, yeah, I think that's probably the best thing that they could do is push it back a year, but obviously it's frustrating for us as footballers, you know, and the and especially other countries that are at the moment, you know, qualifying for it and they've got to wait another year. So it's not the ideal situation, but yeah, it's probably the best pick out of a, out of a bad scenario. Arsenal and England forward Beth Mead there. Now, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us throughout 2020. All of your support for Women's Football Weekly is invaluable. We read every tweet, every email, and I cannot thank you enough for all of that. I really hope you have a prosperous, happy and healthy, more importantly, new year and that 2021 is better for all of us. Next week, we'll be bringing you our best in-depth player interviews from the year with the likes of Vivian Miedemar, Ella Toon and Ellie Roebuck. So don't miss that. And as ever, if you miss any of the show or you want to listen back to any of our lockdown specials, you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the TalkSport app. 't feels broken but how do we fix it Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers but we have found some people who do join me journalist Becca Hudson and me the former MP Ed Vasey for how I'd fix from the price of a pint to the housing crisis this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation and hear practical solutions from those in the know catch new episodes of Howard fix wherever you get your podcasts rebuilding Britain starts here